Uh, so wonderful to be here again. It's what a surprise to uh, speak this morning. Uh, of course, it's not a not a sermon. I I've been uh, going through my quiet times this week, and it brought me uh, my quiet times brought me this week to uh, Luke chapter fifteen, and uh, so Lord really spoke to my heart this week, and I've been meditating on this, meditating on these verses, and and I saw some things I hadn't seen before, and so I started kind of digging in a little bit. This was Monday. Started kind of digging into God's word. I pulled out some commentaries. I looked on my phone at the Greek and the Hebrew. I kind of did some a lot of cross-referencing, and I was having a lot of fun just digging in. It's like, Lord, help me to get a hold of what you're trying to. When God lays something on your heart, don't ignore it. Go with it this week. Do it. You know, make the time to to follow God's word. I did that this week, and then Pastor Tim got sick and. And, uh, and asked Matt and I if we could kind of fill in for him. And God must have known because he spoke to my heart this week on the prodigal son. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to share with you. I didn't have time to do a proper sermon with this. I studied and I wrote notes. And so I might wander a little bit. And I'm sorry, please give me grace if I do. And I'll try to be uh, careful to honor God's word as we look at this. Well, let's start at the beginning of chapter 15. We have three parables that Jesus is sharing. The context of these parables are very important to understand here. The context is that Jesus is talking, he's saving, he's uh, redeeming uh, sinners and uh, the prostitutes, tax collectors, all the people that were despised by the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's being criticized for that. He's being criticized for associating with them, for spending time with them. And so Jesus often can look into the heart and know their hearts, but also they were criticizing him verbally. And he knows, he knows exactly what they are saying, what they are doing. And so he gives us three really incredible, incredible parables that are so appropriate to us today. The first parable is found in uh, Luke 15, and we're going to read starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, Jesus did. He says to them, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then the next parable, he tells of the lost coin. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, 
There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then we come to the prodigal son. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So when he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who had sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that, are, that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what things, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for the this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. Thank you that it's a living and active sword that penetrates to the marrow, to the soul and spirit. It divides, Lord. It, it causes us to see ourselves, to see you for who you are, your majesty, your grandeur, your power. It helps us to see our frailty and weakness. Lord, this morning we ask that your word would cut deep into our hearts and that you would use it this morning to draw us closer to you, to make us more into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray, amen.
Okay, so beautiful. I, I don't know about you guys, but this is probably one of the most well-known parables in all of the Bible. We've all heard the story. We've all known it. And yet, the more times you read it, sometimes God touches you, and then you glean more depth from it, more beautiful, a beautiful picture. And so hopefully we can kind of dig in a little bit and see that. First of all, prodigal, the word prodigal means wasteful. This is the story of the wasteful son. Uh, it was in verse 11 and 12, it was legal for the son back in those days to demand um, his inheritance. It was perfectly legal and then the father would divide that up. But it was, it was a very hurtful thing to do because in, in essence you were saying, father, because normally you waited to after you're, the death of the father. And so it's basically saying, I wish you were dead, dad, because I want my inheritance now. And so the father here, um, go ahead and grants it, divides up his property and gives it to him. Now, we don't want to look too deeply into a parable because then we can make it an allegory. We don't want to risk that. We don't want to try to draw out too much here. So I want to be very careful about um, some interpretations of this. Uh, the father divides the property, and then um, it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered, in verse 13, all that he had and took a journey to a far country where he would squander his property and reckless living. So um, he traveled to a far country. I think that's an important element here to look at because it shows us that he was mindful. He had a plan that he wanted to do. So he wanted to escape accountability. He wanted to flee outside of the, the reach of his father and brother and family. And he wanted to escape, in a sense, God's law. Because if you were in Israel, uh, you were accountable. You were held accountable to a certain way of life. You could be uh, punished uh, for, for debauchery and excessive living. So he traveled to a country that didn't have those same rules, thinking, I, I can live now the way I want. I can do what I want. I don't have to be accountable to anyone or anything. And so uh, I wanted to point out here in, in verse 13 that the, he squandered his property. The word squandered here is the same word for, uh, they used uh, for casting grain into the air and, and separating the chaff from the grain and for just casting out seed in, um, in an agricultural term. So he, you get that sense of what he was doing with his property, with his inheritance, is he's just tossing it. He's just carelessly throwing it. And that's the word squandered there. The next word to look at here is reckless living at the end of 13. Now, your translation might say riotous living. But it's interesting. The word here in the Greek is actually um, dissolutely, if I'm pronouncing that right. Ruth, that's a new word I learned this week. Dissolutely. Dissolutely is the is the best probably translation for this word. And, and dissolutely it means this, lacking moral restraint, indulging in sensual pleasures or vices. And so this young man here, he's experiencing his, while he's got a lot of money, he's got a lot of property, and he's already removed the moral and responsible boundaries that God has given us, this fence, this protection for us, and he's escaped that, said, I don't want to be under that control anymore. 
I wanted to be outside of that control. He wanted to indulge in his debauchery without any restraints. I think think Warren Wiersbe really illustrated this perfectly. He says this, sin offers freedom but only brings slavery. It promises success but brings failure. It promises life but the wages of sin is death. And so sin will always take us farther than what we ever wanted it always take us beyond uh, our what we dreamed of. Some temptation that we might have when we come in to read God's word is we kind of look at it maybe as a third party. I don't know, has anyone ever done that where you're kind of reading it about other people? Sorry, I, I got to stay right here. You're reading about other people and you say, that's not me. And so you removed yourself in the third person. That's a that's a danger when reading God's word. That's what we do when we read a, a good fiction book or science fiction or whatever genre you like. We kind of are the third person, right? Reading, it's not about us. But the Bible's not meant to be read that way. The Bible's meant, it's the living and active word of God. It's meant for us to engage in every single aspect of it. And so I want us to be very careful when we read this and we say, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a prodigal son. I, I'm not living a debauched life. We can become, if we're not careful, spiritually proud and self-centered. We can become arrogant. We can become uh, insulated and thinking, I'm not doing these things. I'm okay. Let me just remind you of David. And David was a man after God's own heart. God said that about David. He is a man after my own heart. And look at David. Do you think he had in mind to kill Uriah when he saw Bathsheba in a glance? No, he certainly didn't. A man, a man after God's own heart saw Bathsheba. He kept looking and sin will draw you in, draw us in deeper and deeper to the point where we have lost our moorings, where we have lost our our mind. And we do things that we would never ever think of doing. David killed uh, Uriah to hide his sin. That's where sin will take us. So that's, that's important for us as we read God's word and we read about this prodigal son that we don't insulate ourselves from him and say that, that's a terrible example, but it won't happen to me. No, we have to be careful in our heart to have humility and say, Lord, help me to cling to you like the verses that we sung and the, and the hymns that we sung this morning. We are frail children as dust. Didn't we hear that this morning? Frail children. Sorry. What's that? Beautiful. We are. That's us. We are frail. And so we're going to look at this fragility here and this beauty of this. So he's spent his, his property on reckless living or riotous living or dissolute living. In verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. 
feeding pigs, not a very good thing for if you're Jewish. Not a very good thing if you're Jewish. You see what's going on here. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I love this verse. He came to himself. This is a picture of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a seeing of going one direction, then turning and going the opposite direction. He came to himself. He saw his sin. He repented of his sin. And he said in verse 18, we see this repentance. Here's the 180 degree change. Here is the repentance. I will arise. You notice the words he's using here. It's a willful mindful, mind, will, and emotional response. Every part of him, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is a picture of of real, genuine repentance. When you see, he's not... Saying, you know, I'm bad, but God will take me back as a, as a son. No, he says, I don't, I, I don't even deserve that anymore. I deserve to be a hired servant. I don't deserve that. You see the humility here. It's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. He's humble. I have sinned before you, before heaven, and before you. That is the nature of sin, no matter what. That is one of the sure ways you can see uh, Jesus who claimed divinity is the time when he forgave sin. And the times he forgave sin, the people said, who are you to forgive sin? Well, all, all sin is in direct opposition to God, is against God. And so even though the son is sinning against his father, he also sinned against God. That's where it was directed. He recognizes that I've sinned against heaven I've sinned against God and I've sinned before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What a beautiful picture of that. So we see, we pick up now. uh, He is on his way. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now this was totally uncharacteristic of a patriarch father 2,000 years ago in the Jewish society. They didn't do this. They didn't run. They didn't go and do this. What a beautiful, amazing picture of God's grace and forgiveness for us. But while he was still a long ways off, his father ran to him, felt compassion on him, embraced him, and kissed him. What a beautiful picture it is when we repent truly repent of our sin, of our sins that we've held on to. What a beautiful picture of God's eagerness to forgive us, to not just say you're forgiven, but to embrace us and to kiss us. It's a beautiful picture of God. In verse 21, we see the son. He's, he's been rehearsing 
the lines that he's going to say. Remember, he said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and this. And here he is right here in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy be called your son. And you get a sense here, it's not really illustrated here, but you get a sense here that the father didn't even let him finish. He interrupted him. Because remember, he didn't get to say, treat me as one of your hired servants. So the father said, but the father said to his servants, bring a robe quickly, the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Do you, do you see the destituteness of the son here? He doesn't even have shoes on his feet. He has made this journey from a faraway land and he's, he's just probably thread-worn clothing and the, son, the father puts his best cloak on him, puts a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Complete forgiveness and restoration, but it comes, it comes on the heels of true repentance, real and genuine repentance. And so the father interrupted the son, and it, by doing all this, putting the best robe on him, a finger on a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, he's saying, "You are my son. I'm treating you as my son. I'm restoring you." restoring you completely. And not only that, but then he says, bring the fatted, fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. Now this harkens back to the previous two uh, parables, right? With the coin. So he's pointing out to the Pharisees, you would, you would celebrate a lost coin. You would celebrate a a lamb that got lost, but you won't celebrate sinners who repent. You won't enjoy them. And so the Pharisees, they're not off the hook here because Jesus is drawing the uh, parallel that the between uh, uh, lost sinners that repent truly the prodigal son and the, the, the son who didn't, who was self-righteous, who didn't rebel, uh, he's comparing them to the scribes and Pharisees. And so they're not off the hook yet here. They're, they're going to talk about that next. So uh, the older son was in the field and he came and verse this verse 25. And as he drew, he came near, drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Instead of going in and seeing what was going on, he just stayed outside. He didn't even know what was going on yet. He wanted to go in. You go find out for me what's going on here. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He entreated him. I think, uh, I don't just pause right here a moment and we'll just look at this here. We see uh, two types of sin here mentioned in this parable. The sins of commission, commission. Commission just means simply that this, the sins that we do, the bad things we do, right? The prodigal son was sins of commission. He was engaging in activity and behavior that was sinful, that was wrong, that was grieving God, and he was committing these sins and bad. 
and he repented of those. And then we see another sin here that's really never taught in church. And this is the the sin that the older son is exemplifying here. And that is the sin of omission. Omission. So what what do we mean by omission? Sins of omission are not doing the things that we know we should do. Not doing the things we know we should do. Sins of omission. These are sins that are are under the radar. These are the sins that don't always manifest themselves clearly and plainly in someone's life. These are the sins that we we can kind of cover up a little bit. Oh, nobody knows. These are the sins that that uh, we we can all fall for so easily and quickly because we're looking at not doing the things we're not supposed to do instead of doing the things we're supposed to do. So here's some examples. How about unforgiveness or not forgiving, not being merciful, not being grateful, not being joyful, not being kind, not being loving, not being generous and not being humble. These are the sins of omission. They can manifest themselves into sins of commission, of course, but these are more the heart areas that we can struggle with, more areas of our heart. And you see this exemplified in the older son. He is none of these things. He's not forgiving. He's not merciful. He's not joyful when he should be joyful. He's not grateful for having his son, his brother back. He's not kind, he's not loving, not generous, he's not humble. All these things, we see this lack of humility, we see this struggle that he has uh, when he becomes angry. And he answered his father in verse 29, look, these many years I have served you, no gratefulness here either. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fatted calf for him. Squandered the inheritance. The older son could not see his younger son's repentance. The son who squandered his inheritance uh, became rich by repenting and being restored. He had become indeed wealthy. Even though he had squandered all his worldly possessions, he was uh, poor in that sense. But he was wealthy beyond description because of that restored relationship with his father and with, with our heavenly father. The older son, in opposition, he was very wealthy. He had his inheritance and he in fact was building upon his inheritance but he had become impoverished, impoverished impoverished in pride, unforgiveness, and all that took away his ability to experience joy. And God, God caused him to be alienated from himself. He caused himself to be alienated from God. And so we see, let's finish up the, the verses. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. It's such a beautiful picture of God's grace and forgiveness. 
this morning, I, I hope that as we've looked at this, that we can kind of look at our own, that we can self-reflect on our own hearts, that we can examine our hearts before we come into communion this morning. We can look at sin. Maybe we've, we've uh, uh, held up idols in our lives. Idols can take all kinds of forms in our life. Things that maybe sins of commission. Maybe we've held on to purposely uh, pride and, and maybe we've uh, pursued passions and covetousness and lust of our flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Um, maybe we've, we're, we're, we're guilty that are of, of sins of omission. Maybe we're holding on to unforgiveness or bitterness or lack of mercy, lack of joy that can rob us of that relationship with God, rob us of our joy that we can experience. Before we come into communion, I, I would encourage us, let's bow our heads and we're just gonna quietly examine our hearts, repent of areas in your life, little areas, big areas, repent, turn away, make those choices, those declarations in your mind like the, the younger son did. And maybe maybe there's sins of omission in our lives that we're, we're holding on to that we kind of swept under the rug. We don't think about. And I encourage you, if, if, if you're not ready to give up that sin in true repentance, if you're not ready to forgive somebody or you're still holding on to sin, please don't take communion. Don't take it. And you know what? No one is going to judge. No one's going to look at your life because we all know our own weakness and sin and frailties. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Help us to continue to worship you as now we share the cup and the bread together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.